Thank you, praise team, for leading us in that great time as we sang worship through song, and now we're going to get into the word and worship. Hebrews chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. While you're turning there, and before we pray, let me say a couple of things to you this morning. <clears throat> I've been asked this question in light of some of the things that's taking place in our world, in particular what's happening in Israel. And the question that I have been asked is, do you believe that the Lord is coming soon? And so my response to that is, well, every generation of Christians should be living as though the Lord could come at any moment. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church at Thessalonica, one of my favorite passages, verses 13 through 18 of chapter 4 in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says that when we who are alive and remain shall be called up to meet, them in, to, to meet the Lord in the air, he, he put himself in that group. He used a plural pronoun, the, the we, including himself, thinking that he might be alive when the Lord Jesus returned uh, for the church. So every generation should be living in light of the coming of the Lord. And so what do I make of what's happening in Israel? That was the, really the context of the question that I was asked. Now, let me just say to you that what I do know is the people groups there that are involved in uh, this war against Israel, those who are indirectly involved or directly involved, are said in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38 and 39, to be part of a confederation that will come against the people of Israel in the latter days. And that group that comes against Israel will be destroyed. Uh, the Israelites won't have to fight then. God's going to take care of that, and He's going to destroy those armies for them. So certainly some of those same people groups that are involved in that, the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy are involved even now against uh, Israel. Now, I do not believe that the battle that's occurring right now is exactly that battle that's taking, that will take place in Ezekiel 38 and 39. But what I do believe is the Lord may be coming soon. I don't know that. It may be another century before He does. But what I would say is what we see happening today is what our Lord talked about in the Olivet Discourse when He said there's wars and rumors of wars that are happening and those are the birth pangs. Those are the things that precede the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Throughout the generations, there has been wars. There has been rumors of wars. And, and those things are signs. Those things are warnings from God that eventually what will take place someday is the Lord Jesus Christ will return and He will exact judgment on the world. Now, that's what we can take, I believe, out of what's happening in our world today. My response to the person who asked me this question was, what we need to do is this. We need to examine our lives as believers and ask ourselves this question, are we faithful now? If the Lord Jesus Christ were to return today, would He find us faithful? Would He find us using our spiritual gifts? Would He find us using uh, our time wisely for Him, the financial resources that He's given to us? Would He find that we're being good stewards of those in terms of advancing the kingdom of God? Would He find that we're living life in such a way that we desire to bring honor and glory to the Lord? Would He find that in us in this room today? Those are questions we need to be asking ourselves and then responding in light of that. It also is something that should quicken us to be about the mission that we've been given, and that mission is to take the gospel to the world. And so we should be even more urgently reminded 
of how we're to share the gospel with others. For those who do not know the Lord, those who maybe would call themselves Christians and yet you've sort of just been wading around the edges of the pool of Christianity. You've never truly repented and received Christ as your Savior and Lord. And there's never been that life change that happened in your life. But you have a knowledge of the truth. And I would say to you, the urgency for you must be this. Believe and repent. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior while there is still time. And so these are warnings. I thank God for His warnings. And they're reminders for us to be living in light of the way that we're supposed to be living. Future judgment is coming. Now, as Brock mentioned a moment ago, for the people of God, we can take great comfort in knowing that we have an eternal future, an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us. One day the Lord will return, and He will establish His rule and His reign. And I praise God for the comfort of knowing that. The great blessed hope. So we do want to pray for Israel. We want to pray for the people of the world to heed the warnings of God that's being issued and to turn to the one true God for hope and peace. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We've sang about it this morning. We've reflected on it. We've worshipped in light of it. I'm reminded of what your precious word says. In Romans chapter 8, Paul wrote, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor life, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm thankful nothing can separate us from your love. I'm thankful for your provision for our lives. I'm thankful that you never leave your people nor forsake your people. Help us, Lord God, to be obedient to you. Help us to heed the warnings that we see happening around us and be faithful, not be distracted, not be lazy spiritually, not be complacent, not be in a spiritual stupor, but be awakened to live with boldness and fervency for our Lord. Help us, Lord, to share the gospel as we're called to. Help us, Lord, to live like we're supposed to as Christians. So, God, open our understanding so we see the disobedience that often pervades our lives so that we will be that people, Lord, that is honoring to you. Lord, I pray for those around us that don't know you. I pray for them to be, uh, have their hearts open to receive the, the gospel and for us to be quick to share with them. I pray that around the world. I pray, Father, for what's happening in Israel right now, and I pray for your protection of Israel. I pray for you to give them success in the defense of their country and the offensive tactics they need to take to do that. I pray, Lord God, for those that are their enemies, that you would help them to see that they are following a false god and for them to turn away to the one true God and really receive Christ as their Savior and be changed. And I pray that for the Israelis, Lord who rejected the Messiah when he came first, but I believe you still have a plan for them, Lord. And there's going to be a day near the end where there's a mass number of those, Lord, who will turn to you. And I pray that would even begin now. And now, Father, I pray that you would enable me to preach the word this morning because I can't do it without you. I'm thankful for the strength you gave me in the last service, and I pray, Lord God, that you will do it again now, giving me great liberty in preaching 
great clarity of mind and a clarity of speech, and I pray that you'll captivate our attention and give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, I pray for distractions to be removed. I pray for the presence of God to be in this room. And I pray you'll work in your people today, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. I want to speak this morning on this subject, faith in the fire. Faith in the fire. Now, faith is fortified in the fires of trial. Now, every one of us are going to face hardships in this life. We're going to face uh, trials. We're going to, to face troubles and tribulations in this life. We're going to go through storms. We're going to face lots of difficulties in this life. But the Bible tells us that God uses those difficult things to strengthen us. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, the Word of God tells us that whatever we face in this life, it will work for our good. That is, those who love God, those who are the called according to His purpose. And so we know that those difficult times will work to strengthen us. Matter of fact, in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 4, the Word of God says this, "...through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or endurance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, we have already talked about the fact that Christians are going to face opposition. We're going to face your basic storms of life but we're also going to face an opposition from the world system around us. Let me just ask you this, or tell you this. If you're living your life right now, and you're never facing any type of opposition because of your walk with Christ, you're probably not walking with Christ. You're probably going in the same direction that everybody else is in the world. Because if you walk with Jesus, you're going to experience some oppression. You are going to experience persecution. You're also going to experience the resistance of the enemy in your life. Anytime you see that beginning to take place, you know that you're walking with the Lord when those kind of things begin to happen uh, in your life. We're going to face persecution and opposition. The Bible lets us know in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So as we walk with God... Those things are going to take place. People will make fun of us. They will mock us. They will exclude us because of our walk with Jesus Christ. Now, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these earlier Christians to stay faithful. They're, they're facing opposition. They're facing persecution. And the tendency for them is they're being tempted to withdraw back into a practice of Judaism that would be more comfortable for them. At least their ethnic group would embrace them. In that sense. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying to them, Now don't you do that. Jesus is greater than Judaism. Jesus is greater than all things. Follow Jesus. Endure. Stay faithful is the message of the writer of Hebrews to these early Christians. In chapter 11, he is using the example of Old Testament saints and their example of faith to encourage these first century Christians. Beginning in verse 3 of chapter 11, 18 times 
uh, he uses this word that's translated in the English by faith. And he uses that to introduce an example of faith or to show the product of faith in this chapter. Now, today's text shows us the example of Moses and what took place in Moses' life. Even uh, as he was born, his parents' faith. That's highlighted in four examples from Moses' life uh, in the text for today. And so I, I want us to look at this text, and I want to talk about some things today that I pray will, will stir your faith and encourage us to walk with Jesus. So look with me in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses... When he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Now the main idea of this message this morning is that faith fuels endurance to remain faithful even in the fire of trial. Moses had already been used as an example of faith in the lives of these early Hebrew Christians. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the, the greatness of Moses was highlighted, but then the superiority and greatness of Jesus over Moses was really focused on uh, in those verses. According to Guthrie, Moses was specially venerated by Greek-speaking Jews. Uh, he was looked at as one who had an unusual closeness to God. Matter of fact, among some sects of Jews, there was an idea that he was the most perfect person that had ever lived. What the writer of Hebrews makes the case for is this, that Jesus Christ is the perfect one. And he is far superior to the Lord Jesus. He is far superior to Moses, the Lord Jesus is. And Moses was a frail man just like the rest of us. But God had changed his life through faith. And so uh, what these Christians were to do is stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ as we must do today. And we can learn a great deal as we examine these examples of faith in the lives of Moses and his family. Now the first thing that I want to show you in this text is found in verse 23. I want to show you this truth, and that is that faith in the family endures through the generations. The first example of faith is that of Moses' parents, and they exhibited faith in difficult times. And let me explain the context of what was going on in, in the background of verse 23. The Israelites had grown significantly, and, and Pharaoh had begun to fear 
the Israeli people, the, the, the Hebrew people. He was fearful that they might become a threat to him, so what he decided to do was to enslave them. And so he put them under slavery, and he oppressed them. He thought to break them and, and to break them down. But that didn't work because, see, the hand of God was with them. And they continued to multiply. So then he decided to do something else to try to curb the population of the Hebrews. And so he gathered the um, heads of the midwives. These two women came before Pharaoh, and he told these two women, he said, when, when, um, when you're delivering babies, what you're to do is, if that baby is a male, you kill that baby. You put that baby to death. If it's a female, then you can allow that child to live. Well, these women feared God, so they did not obey the king's command. They feared God above the king. They, they knew that would be a sin against Almighty God to do such a thing. So they refused to do it. And Pharaoh called them back on the carpet. What's your problem? Why are you not doing what I told you to do? And they said, well, these women are so strong, by the time we get there, they've already had babies. He's adjusting then uh, his, his decree. And he said, well, here's the new decree then. In any home where a child is born, if it is male, you throw that child in the river, the Nile. If it's female, then you can keep that child. That's the context into which Moses was born. His family were under a decree from the king to put him to death, but by faith, they did not do that. They knew that would be wrong. And there's two things that we see in verse 23 about this. The first thing we see is that they saw that this child was beautiful. Now, it's more than just looking at that and say, that's a pretty baby. We're going to keep that one. If it had been ugly, they'd have thrown him in the river. That, that's, that's not what it was. There was something that they saw about this child. There was something special about the character of this child. Through the eyes of faith, they were able to see that the hand of God was on this child. God had a plan for this child. This child was not to be harmed. So what they did for three months is they hid that child in their home until they could not hide the child anymore, maybe. It was very distinct that this was a male, so they couldn't hide this anymore. And uh, so then his mother, Moses' mother, took a basket and put pitch on it where it would float and placed Moses in it. His older sister Miriam watched what took place. They put the child in the river, floated down to where Pharaoh's daughter bathed, and this was all orchestrated by God. And Moses floated in, and Pharaoh's daughter saw him, and, and he had favor with her, and she loved that child. And then Miriam said, Do you want me to go get a nursemaid from the Hebrew women to nurse the child? Well, sure. So he just took him right back to his mama. She took him right back to his mama. And then she, she uh, had him until he was weaned, and then he was raised in Pharaoh's uh, Pharaoh's household. There was something special about this child. And they could see it. Matter of fact, when Stephen was preaching before he was martyred and he was laying out the history of the Jews, he said in Acts chapter 7 and verse 20 that when Moses was born, he was well pleasing to the Lord. And so by faith, Moses' parents recognized that. Second thing is they were not afraid of the king's command. They did not give in to the king's command. And so they went through that process of, uh, of trying to keep him there, as I just explained to you, keep him there at the home as long as they could. And then they orchestrated these events, and God spared this child. By faith, they obeyed God in the home. 
Let me just tell you something about your home for just a moment. In your home, Jesus Christ must be Lord of your home. He must be the center of everything you do. He must be preeminent in your homes, in my home. He must be Lord there as He's Lord everywhere. And faith in the household passes down to the generations. When we're living in a godly manner in those homes, it makes a difference in those children. And what we should do is with the eyes of faith understand that every child God gives to us, no matter how many difficulties a child may have, that child has a purpose and plan that God has designed for that child. And what we are to do is love them, pray for them, teach them, set an example for them, and pass down to them the truth of God. We are to be a people just like uh, Jochebed and Amram and commit those children and trust them to the Lord who gave them and that God will use them for His glory. I want to tell you something that's important that we pass down faith in the home. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes parents get too focused on other things and they're not living the kind of life they should and they're not passing down the truth of God to children and it's to the detriment of those children. Now, sometimes you can do all you can do and you can teach and you can live that example and, and they still go astray because they're going to do, they have the ability to do that. But I, I always go back to what the proverb says. You train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. You just you lean on that principle. You pray that principle. You pray over that child because I don't think God's through with that child. So what we're to do is we're to understand that these children are given to us by God, and He has a plan for them. And the second thing I want you to understand is we must not fear the spirit of this world. What I mean by that is we must not fear the world system around us. Some parents do, and they give in. Uh, parents oftentimes will struggle because they have a greater desire for their children to fit in with whatever in-group there is, wherever they are. <clears throat> and so what they will do is they will lessen boundaries. They will compromise convictions. Now listen, you've got to make sure and pray through those convictions and those boundaries because sometimes they can be unreasonable. You've got to make sure that we're not provoking with those. But I'm just going to tell you something, parents. Most of the time, your children will always think they're unreasonable. So you can't always go on what they, the feedback they give you back, although you should listen. But the fact is, you pray through and you set up godly boundaries and you set up convictions and you do not compromise them or lessen them just to have them fit in with whatever group you want them to fit in with. That is a dangerous thing to do. You have to make up your mind. Do you want your children to peak in high school or do you want them to peak when they stand before Jesus Christ someday? I think the answer is clear. What that means is we'll need to live a life of faith and not fear the world system. What happens in many homes is there is a great compromise of faith because there's such a fear of the world. And there's too many parents that are living a faithless life themselves. And what will happen is our children will suffer the consequences of our own faithful, faithlessness. And, and they'll be weak in their faith. And every generation that comes along will become weaker and weaker in faith to the point where there is an absolute rejection of the one true God. 
among those who descend from us. I don't think there's a parent or a grandparent in this room that wants that for your descendants. We're to live by faith. But what happens is we fear the world so much, we fear being rejected by the world, that we're willing to take our children and cast them into the Nile of worldly ideology. And they're carried away by the currents of that godless ideology because we will not stand fast and firm in the faith and pass it down to those God has entrusted to us. We must not fear the rejection of the world system. We must be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel and teach our children to do the same. So the first thing we see by the example of Moses' parents is that Faith in the family is passed down through the generations. But then a second thing I want you to see is that faith will suffer for Christ rather than experience the pleasures and the treasures of the world. Verses 24 through 27. Moses was in a dream spot. He had everything the world offers. He had prestige, he had power, he had possessions, he had access to all types of worldly pleasures and comforts that the average person in the ancient world did not have access to. He had notoriety, he had relationships, he had access to romantic relationships, he had everything that most people pursue in the world, and yet he walked away from it all to obey the one true God in faith because he looked to the future reward and not the temporary pleasures of sin and treasures of this world. Sometimes people will joke around with me, and they'll say, uh, especially when the um, Powerball or whatever that is, gets to be like three billion or whatever the, the pot is, you know. And they'll say, Preacher, I, I think we're going to go buy a lottery ticket. What do you think about that? I says, Well, don't tell me about it. Tithe off of it. Pay off the building. The devil's had that money long enough. We'll just we'll take it on. <laughs> we just kid and laugh about that. But, but here, here's the thing. Here's why people do that. Here's why people do that all the time. And, and they'll, they'll do that because they, they think I, there might be this chance that I get all this money. And I can go do anything I want to. And I can have the house I want, the cars and trucks I want, all the, the, you know, the outdoor, all the UTVs and ATVs and boats and all this. And I can go where I want to go. I have all the clothes I want. I can have all these things. I might have some pull and influence and prestige if I you know, have this. And so we're, we're thinking, if I could just have this, then I've got everything that, that I'll need. But Moses walked away from that because he considered that he considered that the reproach of Christ is a better treasure than whatever this world offers us. Through the eyes of faith, he could perceive and understand the futile promises of the pleasures and possessions of this world. And that's what we need when we walk by faith. Let me break this down a little bit for us. First... Living by faith means that you would rather suffer now and receive future reward. Let me tell you something about sin. I was preaching one time 
in a, a neighboring county. And there was a lot of kids in the service I was preaching. And I said, I said, is sin fun? And all the kids were going, no. And I said, yes, it is. <laughs> they were going, oh. I mean, they couldn't believe what I said. Look at what the Word of God says here. It's enjoyable. It's pleasurable. Do you know that sin is fun for a time? For a time? Eventually, what sin does to a person is leaves them very empty, leaves them inviscerated, costs them more than they were, would ever be willing to pay. Sin will eventually ravish a life. Sometimes people will say, and they say this in Christian context, they'll say, uh, well, you know, I'm just kind of, I guess I'm just not where I need to be right now, but I'm just kind of sowing my wild oats. And you know, everybody goes through that phase. We know we just kind of sow our wild oats. Well, let me just tell you this, we're not supposed to. <laughs> That's not like a Christian rite of passage. Okay, you get saved and you go sow your wild oats. That, no, that's, that's, not, that's not how it's supposed to work. If we want to sow our wild oats, so to speak, we need to remember what Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 say. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For if he sows to his flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Well, I'm very grateful for the forgiveness of God, the uh, restoring of fellowship that God does when we come before. I'm thankful that our sin is covered under the blood. But let me just tell you something. If we willfully sin, we've already discovered this through our, through our study of the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 26 and following, that when we willfully sin and habitually disobey God, we reject and we rebel against Him, then there are consequences and severe ones to those actions. We begin to reap back what we have sown. And the cost of sin is heavy. But the most horrific thing about sin is when those who are unbelievers continue to reject and resist the truth that they know. And they reject that over and over again because those people who choose sin over Christ, they are deceived and they are doomed. And they are like the people of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, that describe that final generation of people alive before the second coming of Christ. And here's what Paul wrote there. He said, the coming of the lawless one, that is also one that's referred to as the man of sin. It's also the one that's referred to in the book of Revelation as the beast. It's the one that we refer to often as the antichrist. It's this person who will have this influence over the world in the last days. And so the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all powers, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now, what was it that was their problem? Why is the judgment of God coming against them? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They rejected and resisted that truth. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth. Why were they condemned? Because they did not believe the truth. But 
notice this, had pleasure in unrighteousness. They took their pleasure in sin and they resisted and rejected the truth of God and the result of that is they would pay for their sins under the sentence of condemnation for eternity. I will tell you this, my brothers and sisters, it's far better to be ostracized by the world and stand with Jesus. It's far better to be attacked for walking with God than to be accepted by the world system around us. It is far better to not experience the pleasures of this world and to receive an eternal reward. Now, don't you notice the latter part of verse 26? Notice about Moses, for he looked to the reward. He was focused on the reward. So faith enabled him to look to that coming reward. Now, one of the ways in which we will glorify God one day is when if we are faithful to Him and He rewards His people, it will be the great privilege of giving glory and honor to Him in light of the rewards He's given to us. It will enable us to worship Him in a way that we will not be if we lose reward. Let me just tell you something about standing before the Lord one day and receiving reward. Nobody's going to say, once they receive reward from Him, go, what I've done, I'm going to take a bow before all of you. It's not going to happen. We receive that reward, and here's what we recognize. We could not do it without Him. It's presented to Him as an act of worship. And throughout eternity, in the assignment of reward that He gives to His people, it is a way in which we will glorify Him. Our ability to glorify God will be hindered to a certain degree if we're not living faithful now. The full potential of our giving glory to God. Our focus is to be on that eternal reward. Paul disciplined himself to finish the race and, and, and receive the crown. Matter of fact, he longed for that when he wrote his last letter, wrote it to Timothy, 2 Timothy. Chapter 4, he talks about that crown of righteousness that that he'll receive, and not only him, but everyone who loves his appearing, he said. Secondly, let me show you this, that living by faith means that you will fear God above the spirit of the world. Moses not only rejected the pleasures and treasures of Egypt, I believe he knew that God had called him to be the deliverer of Israel in that sense. He did prophesy that one greater than him was coming, but the Word of God says here in the book of Hebrews that he by faith left Egypt not fearing the king. But now if you look over in Exodus chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, the Word of God there says that he feared when he had been found out, that he had put to death the Egyptian taskmaster, and so he, you know, he feared. So is there a contradiction there? No, because the writer of Hebrews is highlighting an act of faith. And that act of faith was the rejection and leaving behind of Egypt. Can you imagine the wrath of Pharaoh against 
Moses for rejecting the household of Pharaoh. All that had been done and invested in him, and he walked away from that by faith because he knew he was to identify with the people of God, and God had a plan and purpose for him, and he left for Midian knowing that one day, in some way, God would use him. It was an act of faith. Moses' focus was not on the situation, not on the world powers. His focus was on the unseen God. Now, many of us, unfortunately, as I've mentioned before, we fear the world more than we fear uh, God. Let me just say something. I... Y'all are probably not like this, but I'm just going to say what's typical and what is characteristic of some, and probably not our precious folks here, but typical of some and characteristic of some in the younger generation who grew up in a digital world. When you grow up in a digital world, sometimes it's the social media likes that we crave. We want to be accepted. We want to build a platform for ourselves and we want those we want to please those people so they like what we post and and if they don't then it crushes us and we're constantly trying to please people and we've lost sight. We've lost the proper spiritual perception to understand that we are not here to please people. We are here to please God. And let me just tell you something that I've learned. This old gray-haired, bald, gray, well, hair <laughs> I got left. Old bald man will tell you something that I've learned over the years. You cannot please people. How do you think this hair got gray and turned loose? You cannot, you cannot please people. Our focus is to please him. He takes care of the rest. We are not to fear this world. And so many do. I mean, so many, they wouldn't do the right thing if their life depended on it because it would affect the perception and the acceptance of the world culture around them. But here's what our Lord said, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He said, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so we must be willing to suffer and be on the side of the Lord and receive future reward than stand with and be accepted by the world system. A third thing, and moving quickly, faith follows the instruction of God carefully, even in uncertain circumstances. Verse 28. Verse 28 says, By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. <clears throat> Nine plagues had taken place in Egypt uh, to bring uh, Pharaoh to a point where he would release the people of Israel and they would, they would leave Egypt. The tenth plague was going to be the one that did the trick, and it was the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. To protect the people of Israel, God gave specific instruction to Moses, and Moses was to give that specific instruction uh, to the people of Israel. It would be a strange time for them. It would be a scary time. They're being told that a death angel is going to come through the nation of, of Egypt, and, and every household where these instructions are not obeyed, 
the firstborn there would die. It was incumbent upon them and critical for them to obey carefully the word of God. So they were to sacrifice a lamb. There were other instructions given also. There was to be blood placed above the door. And when the death angel moved through those places where the blood was applied, he would pass over and there would be no one who died in those, in those homes. They were to specifically obey the word of truth, no matter how strange it sounded. Can I tell you that sometimes, even to Christians, some of the principles and teachings of the Word of God might seem a bit strange, especially to those around us. They're going to think that we're crazy sometimes. And the things that we stand on and believe in. Because, see, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the natural man does not understand the things that are spiritual. We have a unique insight because the Holy Spirit lives in us and gives us this ability to have this perception. Do you know that if we do not follow the Word of God carefully, then it is costly. It's costly to the believer. It's costly more so to the unbeliever. We're not to be deceived, as Colossians chapter 2, verse 4 and 8 says, by persuasive arguments and by philosophies of humanity. And there's some persuasive things out there that may cause Christians to stand back. Well, wait a minute now. And, and they'll, they'll, they'll cause you to say this. Did God really say that? Or, no, this can't be true. And let me tell you where that comes from. That comes from the enemy who with the very first human beings questioned Eve, put a question to Eve and said, did God really say that? Then he said, no, he, that's just not true. He called God a liar. And that's what the spirit of the world will do. That's what the enemy will do. That's what we'll be tempted to do. But people of faith, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what kind of unfriendly circumstance we're in, we carefully follow the word of truth. It may seem strange to some in our world that, that we say that Jesus Christ is coming back someday. Heaven will roll back and the Lord Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, with a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, the scripture says. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. One day Jesus is coming. And those who are alive when he does will be caught up and changed in an instant to a glorified spiritual body made for eternity. Graves of Christians all over the world will burst forth and break open and those bodies reassembled, re resuscitated and resurrected and joined again with spirit and soul and changed and transformed to a spiritual body like the Lord Jesus' body. We'll stand before the Lord to give an account for our lives and one day return with the Lord to, uh, to rule and reign. What I'm telling you this morning, if that sounds like foolishness, to the world around us at times, but that does not make it less true. It is true. So what we do is we carefully follow the Word of God. We carefully follow the Word of God, even if it means we're going to be mocked and persecuted because faith follows the Word of God and God is glorified through that and He uses that to impact others final thing we see here is that faith trusts God 
to make a way when there seems to be none. Look at verse 29. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. So after that tenth plague, Pharaoh's firstborn died. Pharaoh said, y'all get out. Get out. The people of Israel gathered together to move out. They asked their neighbors for stuff, and they came, they came out of Egypt with a treasure trove. God provided for his people in that way. They left out, and a pillar of fire and cloud led the way and led to a specific route and led them to the Red Sea. Pharaoh began to come to his senses and shake off the shock of of the visit of the death angel. And, of course, God had a plan to further lay out his judgment on Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh gathered his army up and said, What have we done? We're going to go back and get them, bring them back, and put them back in oppression. So he goes after them. And then when the Israelites find out what's happening, they start going, Was there not enough graves in Egypt? We had to come out here so all of us could die out here. And God said to Moses, you just, you stand firm. The battle is mine. And so that pillar of fire and cloud stood in between the people of Israel and the armies of Egypt so they did not, through the night, neither camp uh, came in contact with one another. And God said to Moses, you take that staff in your hand and you stretch it out. And a wind came and waters stacked up on each side forming a, a, a pathway and the east wind blew all night and, and it hardened the ground and the people of Israel were able to walk across the Red Sea on dry land. And the people of Egypt, they, they rushed in following them and then God began to fight against them and the chariot wheels were coming off and and uh, they recognize, well, the God of Israel is fighting against us. And suddenly he releases the walls of water that cover over Pharaoh and his army and, and kill them all. They were destroyed. It looked like an impossible situation. But God. But with God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible for him. When he so wills to accomplish something, he will use the faith of his people, the prayers of his people, and the obedience of his people to do many things. He can open closed doors. He can deliver the distressed and the oppressed. He can bring strength and weakness. He can take problems and solve them. He can heal and he can help. He can change the seemingly unchangeable when it's in line with his purpose. He makes away. He can provide the payoff for a building, open massive ministry opportunities, gift his people to serve, make a way to escape temptation. We don't need to forget this. When there seems to be no way, God makes a way. I think the people of God have forgotten that. I think our faithlessness has led us to that point. We're to exercise faith and trust in Him, even in these fiery situations. Matter of fact, it's in those fiery situations when faith is exercised that endurance is built and God is glorified. 
Life will be difficult for us at times, my brothers and sisters. If somebody failed to tell you that, then they messed up. Because when you live for Jesus, you're going to face opposition. The world will oppose you. Sometimes your peers will make fun of you and mock you. The forces of hell will resist you if you're walking with God and you're serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what's going to happen. But you've got to remember something. The victory is already ours. The Lord Jesus Christ has already defeated the enemy at the cross and through the resurrection. And he's coming back one day and he's going to whip the daylights out of every evil force, crush sin and evil, reward his people, and we're going to reign with him. We need to remember the truth of God. Fix your sight on Him. And let's walk by faith and trust Him. I'm calling on the people of God today to wake up from our spiritual slumber and live by faith. There could be some in this room and online and what needs to happen in your life is you need to you need to be saved because you may believe in the Lord and you may even consider yourself a Christian. You might even come to church on a regular basis. But you know deep down in your heart you've truly never repented. You've truly never repented of your sins. You've never really turned to Christ to be your Lord and Savior. There's never been a life change in your life. You've continued to live with the world. There's nothing different about your life than anyone else who does not consider themselves a believer. Today, what you should do is admit where you are and turn from your sin and believe on the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and trust Him to take your sin away, and He will do just that. And He'll make you righteous. He'll change your life. He'll adopt you into the family of God. You'll be His forever. I love to talk with you about that. We can... Have someone talk with you as we stand to sing. You just come up here and say, listen, I, I need to know more about Jesus. I need to give my life to him. Now, you know, you, you, um, you, you may be sitting there and say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. People are going to look at me. They're going, what are they going to say about me? And well, Let me just tell you, that's the enemy telling you all that junk. Quit listening to that and listen to the drawing and the voice of the Holy Spirit of God who's calling you to Christ. He'll change you today. Christians, the altar is open for us to come and say, Dear God, I want to walk by faith. I consider the reproach of Christ a far greater treasure than the treasures of this world. Help me live faithfully for you. Some might need to join this church. So however God's speaking, let's obey Him. Father, thank You for Your Word. I pray that, Lord, as You have... Lord, worked in me with this. I pray you've worked in these precious folks that I love. And I pray, Lord God, you will strengthen us, convict us, change us, help us, Lord, with what's been delivered today. I pray for those who need to be saved. Oh, God, please, may they surrender to you today and be saved. And may revival come to the people of God. And I thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please.